We're uh, pretty much going to be wrapping up chapter one of James. If you were with us last week, you, you, uh, you heard us talk a little bit about the skills we needed in the midst of trials to be able to listen quickly, to be able to speak slowly and, and slow to get anger. James then was starting to transition that into the fact that for some of us, the lack of doing that is preventing God's word from from planting within our lives. There, there's a, a, a direct opposition that we are having towards God's word if we are ones who are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get temper, or quick to get angry. And, and so uh, that continuation now, James starts by, or ends this chapter by saying, we gotta be doers. And if you've, again, been in church, you probably have heard this passage before, but it's important to see what James is doing in the, in the, in the whole scope of the context of this uh, chapter here. <laughs> he, he's telling us basically, and what we're going to get at is that good intentions can mask, be masked in meaningless activities. It's like my grandmother would always say, you know, you can spend all day in a rocking chair moving but not going anywhere. And, and I think sometimes we get that way with God. We think we're doing stuff for God and we're doing the things that God wants us to, but they're just kind of meaningless activities that aren't really the things that God is asking us to do. And we don't recognize that, we don't know that because we're often quick to speak, slow to listen, and slow to, or sorry, the other way, we're quick to, or quick, sorry, quick to not listen, slow, you know what I mean, okay? (laughs) We don't listen well, we speak too much, and we get angry too fast. Sorry, that's Dan's version. And so we're asking this question. So all I got to do is listen better. Well, no, James comes to that in James chapter one, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. James is basically saying that unless the word comes in and makes a change in our lives, it really hasn't entered into our lives. That the word comes in and it actually changes and transforms who we are. Now, maybe in a moment in a season, you might say, well, I, I, I'm, you know, something hasn't really happened or I haven't really changed who I am. But if you look at the scope of maybe a, a big picture of your journey with God, that there should be something different about who you are because of God's word. God's word is alive and active. It, it, it penetrates the very uh, uh, bone and marrow of who we are and that it should change us, transform us, make us more and more like Christ, and yet James says we can deceive ourselves. One of the things that scares me the most is giving my life to stuff that doesn't matter. Isn't that a sad kind of testimony for all of us? If we could get and spend our lives doing things that don't matter. The world tells us that uh, you've got to get an education, that matters. You've got to get a good job, that matters. You've got to have money, that matters. You've got to have status, that matters. You've got to look a certain way, that matters. And yet, we recognize at the end of everything, none of it matters. James is saying that there are certain things we can do to deceive ourselves that we think we're doing religious stuff, and yet we aren't really doing religious stuff because we're just listening, we're just hearing, and yet we're not doing it. And so not to be deceived, we need to put it into action. We need to listen well and then act upon what you hear. That's why these two sermons from last week and this week, they they go together. We listen well (coughs) and then we act on what we hear. Same thing that Jesus said in John chapter 13. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You gotta know them, but then you gotta do them. And then there's a blessing in the sense that comes with that. We'll get to that in a second. All this comes down to what is the health of our soul? 
It's in the combination of the acting upon the listening and then the the doing. And so James uses a hypothetical situation. He says in verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he is like. Now he's not making a comment on you know, whether or not you know, we need to remember what we look like. He's not making a comment about how many times you look at the mirror. He's telling us again that if you are someone that just hears the word and doesn't do it, you are a forgetful person as much as you would as someone who forgets their own face. You see your face, there's no question you know it's your face, but you don't act upon anything, so then you forget exactly even who you are. You forget what you even look like, and we have this forgetful spirit when it comes to God's word. It sounds nice, it, it, it plays well on a Sunday morning, it, it, it sounds really good sitting in this room, but then you walk out of it, and it's all of a sudden it's like, what, 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 is, what am I supposed to do, what does it matter? <clears throat> all of this, we recognize and we see that when James says the word look, it's, it's, a, it's an intense looking at something. It's not just kind of a pass by. In fact, this word was used when Peter and Mary went to the tomb and they went to look in to see <clears throat> that Jesus' body wasn't there. Uh, it, that wasn't a quick glance. That wasn't just a, a pass by look. They were <clears throat> intensely looking to see that there was no body in the tomb. And that same intense looking is what this man is doing. So again, there's no question he knows what he saw. He, he knows exactly that he saw himself and, and he knows what that looked like, but then he forgets it right away. And that forgetful part is the person that doesn't look or doesn't do what God said. And tragically in all of this, it, it doesn't even matter that he saw himself. And for some of us, it doesn't even matter if you've listened and you heard it, and you know it, because you don't act on it. And it's the the acting on it, the the doing part of it, that that validates the listening part of it. Yeah, you have to listen, and you have to be a good listener, and you have to, to know who God is, know what his word says. Yes, you can get all that information you want, and it's important. But if you don't act on it, then all that information is meaningless. It's just like the man that looks in the mirror and then he walks away and he forgets what he is. And, and, and again, you know, we've joked sometimes, and this isn't, this isn't a negative about Bible study. It's great you should have Bible study. But if all you're doing is studying the Bible and then not acting on what you're learning, then what are you studying? You've missed out on what the connection is to, to know these things and to now act on them is what is the, the blessing that Jesus talked about. Well, turning from the folly of the the foolish man, now he goes to to the wise man or to to the man who looks upon himself or looks upon the the mirror or God's perfect law that gives freedom and he continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it and he will be blessed in what he does. Again, that blessing comes back. It's the same as Psalm chapter one, if you remember that. The, The man that sat by the river, the man that planted himself by the river was blessed in what he did. Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then, then ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now again, we're, we're not talking about a kind of a health and wealth kind of prosperity idea. Uh, everything's gonna go good for you. We're saying about this, this wholeness, this, this, this uh, peace that comes to you because of, of God entering into your life as you enter into God's life. This perfect law is the way that James describes it that grants freedom. 
that perfect law. It's the word that gives, gives us this liberating power. I'll be honest with you, probably the first 20 years of my life, I never thought God's word was liberating power. I never thought it brought freedom. In fact, it was the opposite of freedom. It was all the to-do things and the, and the not-to-do things. And every time I wanted to do something, I felt like God was telling me, no, you can't do that. And it was like uh, this massive joy kill that was going on in my life. And I just had to walk the narrow and straight path and do everything right, morally good, and then everything was gonna be all right. And I couldn't veer away from that one minute because then I'd be bad and God wouldn't be happy with me. That's how I thought God's word was until I started learning and growing in my own uh, 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 emotional health that I needed, as I started to develop my own development of emotional intelligence in my own life, then started understanding the emotional intelligence of what Scripture is saying, that God's not just telling us the to-do, but He's inviting us into a relationship. And in that relationship, what I'm finding at the core, that, that I have these core beliefs, these core ideas about myself, Am I lovable? Am I worthy? Am I useful for anything? Do I, do, do I, do I even matter? These kind of questions I was always asking, and, and, and I find as I, as I dove into God's word, God's word was telling me at every one of those moments, Jesus was saying, yes, you are worthy. Yes, you are lovable because I sent my son for you. Yes, you have value because I created you and made you. Yes, you have a purpose because I, I, I created you in a masterpiece. And all of those things, I would come back to, yeah, but God, I didn't do this. And God, I failed at this. And God, I didn't perform at this level. And Jesus would say, none of it was about your performance. None of it was about what you gave or how you earned it or how much you proved it. It was all given to you by my grace. And in that moment, it was almost like all the, the shackles of what I held onto, of what I thought God wanted out of me, and everything I thought when I looked up to God and said, God, are you happy with me? Are you pleased with me? Have I disappointed you? And God looking back at me and saying, son, you are my son. You are part of, of my family. And I will carry you and, and walk you through to, to, to where you need to be. Just, just trust in me. And in that moment, it was like I was free from all those condemnations and judgments that I gave myself. In that moment, I was free. I could now just live and love and serve and help out of not any transactional relationship or out of any guilt, but out of just the joy of the grace that's been given to me. This is the freedom that comes with God's word. The more that we study it and learn it and we listen well, but then we act upon it and we actually trust it and put it into practice. This is what James is talking about, what happens here. And then he brings us to kind of this <coughs> apex of what he's doing is that the person keeps looking and keeps looking and keeps looking and they keep doing and they keep doing and keep doing. And then James says the blessing is in the doing. That there is blessing in that. That's why I, I love even the, the model of baptism and why I even said, like, it doesn't make you a super Christian because that act isn't like, okay, I did the good thing, now God's gonna bless me. The good thing you did is just acted in obedience. And the more that you just act in faithfulness, obedience, the more that you realize how blessed you are regardless of the circumstances of life. 
and then you want to talk about freedom again, then I become free to, to, to not be bound by the circumstances of my life. How many of us are bound because of the circumstances? You're bound by your, your health, by your finances, you're bound by the people around you, you're bound by those circumstances instead of just saying, no, I'm just gonna do what is right in God's eyes because of the joy of the grace given to me and the freedom given to me. That I don't have to be bound by those things. And so he's blessed in his doing. But now James doesn't just leave us there, and I think this is important that all these are connected. He wants us to realize that now we can fall into another trap. So the first trap is I hear God's word and it sounds good and wonderful, but I don't do it. So you deceive yourself. The second trap that James now gets into is you listen to God's word and you start to do it, but then you start to do things that feel religious, but they aren't the things that really matter to God. And so we gotta be careful we don't just go through the religious activities uh, of what a church does or a community does or what you think is right, but you say, what is the things that matter to God? And so he, he gets into these ideas of, of these different things that are acceptable to him. We'll just speed right through this. Okay, <clears throat> verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and the person's religion is worthless. Religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself from, or keep oneself abstained from the world. Three things that James talks about here. He prefaces the first, or the first one by the idea of the tongue and then he goes specifically into visiting the orphans and widows and being abstained from the world. You can pretty much sum up these three things by saying our mouths, our heart, our hands, and our hearts. You want to ask, am I doing the religious things that matter to God? Start asking, what are you doing with your mouth? What are you doing with your hands? And where have you given your heart? Notice what James says here. He says a real man's religion isn't about what their ability is to speak as much as it is their ability to bridle their tongue. In fact, he uses that illustration of a horse and the idea of a little bit that controls the massive horse. Have you ever been around the animal? They are just a massive machine of muscle that can do whatever they really want. But that bridle is what controls them. James is going to talk more about this in James 3, so we won't get too much into this about the tongue. But I want you to be very clear. James isn't just talking about not using bad words. Sometimes we just focus in on, well, I, I can't say the bad words, okay? What James is talking about is something more that comes out of your heart. It's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees when they were talking, saying, for out of the outflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so what James is saying here, it's not just those words, but it's the tone. It's the intent to harm. It's the recklessness of what you say. Like some of us just think, well, I'm speaking, uh, I'm speaking truth to somebody, uh, but you're speaking truth to them in a, in a, in a reckless, awful, mean-spirited way. You're speaking truth to them in a way that you, you wanna cut them down, you wanna hurt them, you wanna, you wanna put them in time out, or you wanna show victory over them. That's not, that's not something that, that, that flows from the heart of a heart that is desiring to, to show compassion and love for all people. Some of you just wanna post whatever you wanna post because you think that's, that's funny or that's clever or that's, that's acceptable in, in, in your idea of your side of things and all of a sudden it's, it's not the intent from what it, it, it's meaning to from, from what God views as, as good. 
Some of us have a, a, just a, a tone to us, or uh, we think, well, I'm, I'm feeling a certain way, so I get to tell everyone how I feel because I feel that way. And, and sometimes we're like, nah, that's not what James is talking about here. He goes on and he says, and then also our hands, and he says orphans and widows, and we recognize that in Jewish society during that time, it was the orphans and widows that were the most vulnerable, the most um, needing of protection and, and resources, you can kind of look at that today and there's a, there's a whole bunch of different groups. You can identify all sorts of groups across the country, across the world that fall into this category. You got kids that are in foster care. You got single moms. You got immigrants that are traveling and have nothing. You got people that are coming um, you know, out of prison and trying to start over. And just, just all sorts of people around our world could be identified as those that needing protection and resources. And you and I, we, you can argue all you want about policies and ideas about how to fix all those problems and what you would do if you were master of the world for one day, but that's nothing, none of that matters to James at this moment. What James is saying is, what type of, of charity, what type of compassion are you showing? Are you putting your hands to action to demonstrate that God sees all people and every person is valued to God? And the world may forget these people that are, that, that are you know, uh, labeled or identified as a certain category, but God doesn't. And God wants us to go and to, to give of our lives in that. In fact, Isaiah told us this when uh, the people were coming and they were worshiping God. Isaiah the prophet just was like, I could care less about your worship right now. He says, take your evil deeds. He called them evil deeds. Their worship was evil deeds out of my sight. Why? Because they were, they were not doing what was right. They were not seeking justice, encouraging the oppressed, defending the cause of the fatherless, pleading the case of the widow. They completely didn't care about those things and they were just going through religious activity. And James is saying the, the same thing here. We, we need to demonstrate a care and compassion for those who are most vulnerable, those who need the most protection. True religion, the religion that God accepts, can't be ex- exist besides the care for orphans or widows in their distress. In fact, you could even think about it. It's sad to think that we could be so high and mighty or high that we don't even realize that we need to reach down and rescue somebody. You know, even the fact of reaching down can even be used as, a, as an arrogant term because that would mean that you are something higher or greater. There has to be a, a, a mindset that with our hands, with our tools, with our resources, with our giftingness, we would use them not to build our kingdoms but to care for those that are around us. You see, this worship that pleases God is about throwing ourselves on the altar before the needy world in service. And I know for a lot of us, that's difficult because we were taught, we were raised to, to fight, to hate, to push back. And there's times when we need to do that against some of the ideologies of the world. But when it comes to the actual people, we are to give our lives as a, as a service to help and to care for those that are most vulnerable. That's what the story of the Good Samaritan was all about. That's what Paul talked about when he said, therefore, because you are now in Christ, Romans chapter 12, you are a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is about sacrifice. It's about giving of yourselves. And so this is the attitude that James talks about. Well, the third one, he goes on and he talks about the idea that we are to keep ourselves being polluted of the world, that 
it's our hearts. What James is really talking about here is that we gotta protect our hearts from being uh, polluted by this world. I said last week, right, life is like a ra- lazy river. And if you just float down the world in the lazy river, it's gonna take you away from God. The current is not going to what can please God. How can we glorify him? How can we lift up his kingdom? The world is going towards what is me, what is mine, and what can I take for myself? And our heart is in the middle trying to say, well, I I really like these things. I really want this stuff. I really need this in my life. I really identify with these things. And so our heart starts moving towards the things of this world. And James says, if you are a listener and doer, then you will recognize you have to guard your heart that your heart will long for these things, but, but you have to move or steer your heart towards God. This is an intentional thing we do. This is something that, that, that we have to recognize and pay attention to, and, and I'm not saying you need to go hide in a corner and, and, and kind of you know, you know, just sit in a dark room and, and block everything out. I'm not saying you gotta go you know, up into a monastery and become a monk. There's a way to engage the world. There's a way to interact with people but to to protect and to guard your heart. That's why it's kind of important that you identify the things in your life that that you are drawn towards. Like there are certain things like, man, if I leave this unchecked in my life, I'm gonna keep moving and moving and moving in this direction. And my heart is gonna give myself to this. And with my heart, then goes my hands, then goes my mouth, then goes everything I have, because now that's that's who I identify with. And so we guard our hearts, we protect our hearts from being polluted by this world. Isaiah said it this way about the world. He said that evil is called good, good is called evil, light is darkness, and darkness is light. That there is real forces of uh, of belief that is pulling us away, trying to tell us that good is, is evil and evil is good. And although we love people, we respect people, we, we sacrifice and live our lives to, to care for people, there are things in this world, ideology speaking, that we do not want any part of. And we gotta protect our heart in that. What all these things, mouth, hands, and heart. James tells us that if we are not gonna deceive ourselves, we will give the attention to these things. And so we ask this question here. Are we just killing time with religious activity? and not doing what we hear? We just feel like, we, well, I went to church and I heard what the sermon said, so therefore I'm good for the week. Have we become so comfortable with our mouths and our hands and our hearts to the point that we just look at them, but we never let transformation take place? Think about it. When was the last time you began to speak differently because God's word was planted in your heart? When was the last time you looked at what you did with your hands and you said, you know what, I could do this or or I could do what God is calling me to do? When was the last time you thought about your passions, your desires, your heart, your identity of who you are and you said, you know what, the world is calling me this way but I know I am a a child of God and so I'm I'm gonna do this way. You see, we can't get so comfortable in these things that we just don't let God's word penetrate the way that it was intended to be. That it is alive and active. 
cuts between the bone and the marrow and, and transforms us into the, the, the people that God is calling us to be. Now, we're all on different journeys. And your journey might not look like mine, and yours might not look like someone else's, but we should be on the journey. And we should see, because of our listening and doing, transformation that's taken place.